0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Today we've been talking about Legalism and Antinomianism, or Mr. Legality and Ms. License. And the reason why we're talking about this subject is because of our upcoming conference on November 8th and 9th. The theme this year is In Christ Alone. All of the details are at ReformationBoise.com. Now, what we've seen this week is that Mr. Legality and Ms. License essentially view God's law in the same way. The only difference is that the legalist, looks at the law and he he sees that it's a burden and he willingly carries that burden, but the antinomian refuses to carry it and he casts it off, insisting that if God was really loving, he wouldn't ask for it. So what they do essentially is that they separate God's law from his gracious person and both the legalist and the antinomian view it negatively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, this comes from a complete misunderstanding of God's law. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, let's start there. So brothers... Can you explain to our listeners just the three types of law found in the scripture?
1: So very simply in the old Testament there, there were ceremonial laws. This is the the laws that dealt with the specifics primarily with regard to, to worship um, and dealing with the different sacrificial systems that were in place in, in the old Testament. The second were the civil laws that dealt with the, the nation of Israel and, and, what was required of them with regard to running that system of government, really, mm-hmm. that, their society, and the third is the moral law, which are the the laws mm-hmm. that reflect the character of God, um, laws that reflect the ethical um, lifestyle that was required of the people of of, of God.
2: Yeah, with regard to the smer- cer- ceremonial law, these were these were laws that pointed to Christ. They were, you know. They involved the sacrifice, the temple, and that sort of thing. They they're looking forward to uh, Christ's fulfillment of these things. They are pointing pointers to that, and we have a dramatic picture of that when we think about, you know, when Christ was crucified on the cross. One of the things that happened on that day was within the temple, the the temple veil between the holy of holies was rent. You know, this was a place that the priest could go in only once a year to make atonement for sin for the people. And that, and not, and and that curtain was rent from top to bottom because now Christ is the mercy seat. The blood shed is by Christ is the atonement for sin. And then, uh, with regard to the uh, the civil law that was mentioned there, these are these are laws. They they. St- in some ways, some of them still apply to us. This was a given under a theocratic society, you know, and this is how God's people were to operate, and there were certain laws that were given to govern the people. For instance, there was laws about when you you know, when you when had somebody for hire, you were to pay him uh, his wage. You know, there was no bank. He didn't wait for it to be convenient next week. You had to give him his wages because he needed to sus- subsist on that. We do the same thing. We expect our employers to pay us at the end of the week. You find these people that have just lost. You know, they work for the travel company. They're all out with the, their money was recalled. and They're out of out of money. There's a general equity to this, and and so we look at those things and we get wisdom from that. But the one that really counts is what you said was the moral law, and those were the like you said the things the ethic for God's people evidenced in the Ten Commandments, in the summary of all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself.
0: That's right. So, you know, we kind of all come from a confessional background, of course. Um, So the the confessions talk about three uses of the moral law. So ceremonial law and the civil law have largely been abrogated, um, fulfilled completely by Christ and, and put away. Um, but the moral law is not the same because it reflects God's eternal character. So, brothers, explain to us the three uses of the
1: moral law. So the the first is to show us our need of Christ, that as the moral law is read and preached, we see that in and of ourselves we cannot keep it, that we cannot do it, that we need someone mm-hmm. to have done that in our place, and that is only the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect obedience is what is imputed to us in justification. The second use is a life of, of gratitude, a life of service unto God, that this directs us because it reveals the character of God, it reveals how we are, are to live in this world in a way that that reflects that God, that as the law reveals God's character, we also live out that in our life. And the third is the the, the civil use of the law that if you look at even just the law codes of our own country, many of them reflect the ethical principles that are found in God's moral law. Um, so we are not saying that we believe in a theocracy that mm-hmm. um, that's still in play, but we are saying that the ethical and moral principles of God's law should be used to help determine the, the principles of uh, the civil government.
2: Yeah. Most people would renumber those and have you know the that. Pedagogical uh, one is first the mirror that reflects Christ and our need for a Savior. It shows us our sin, and that. Then they put the second use as the civil law. Mm -hmm. You know, the one that restrains evil. The that use of the law doesn't change the heart of a person, but it it inhibits lawlessness. And we see actually, you know, we see this lawlessness in our own country when the law of God is not when the law is not maintained. People's hearts are prone to evil continually. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there is a a sense of, a in the civil use of the law, a threat of judgment that will kind of restrain us. And we see that when we're driving down the freeway and we see a police officer, we pick up our foot off the gas pedal. There's a certain restraint because these things ought to be required of us. But the the third function is, Russ, uh, you know, mentioned in the second point, it's to guide us into the good works that God planned for us. You know, the law tells us that we're to please our Heavenly Father. And uh, this is that family code that we operate under. You know, he, he, uh, Christ was speaking of this third use of the law when he said that those who become his disciples must be taught to do all that he commanded him, mm-hmm. of us. You know, and in obedience to those commands, um, prove our love to him, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. demonstrate that love to us. So it's not the system of salvation, but it is the rule of life for those that believe.
0: Right. That's right. So let's connect these three uses of the law to this issue of antinomianism. So one of the verses that I think um, kind of engenders a lot of confusion for evangelicals is Romans 6.14, where Paul is speaking to the believer that, First of all, it's huge context right there. He's speaking to the believer. And he says, Now sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And all the antinomians in the room say, Amen, right? Because uh, well, we're no longer under law, we're under grace. So, brothers, what does what does Paul mean here? I mean I mean, I think this is a, a fairly confusing verse for your typical reader who's just going through Romans six.
2: Well, first of all, from just comparing scripture to scripture and you know we don't just um, believe in solo verses we believe in total scripture we you know it doesn't mean that the Christians have no obligation to the moral law of God uh, you know we recognize that on the contrary Christians are enabled by union with Christ and the uh, dwelling of the Holy Spirit to obey that moral law but so what the Bible's teaching us in in the context of this passage is we're either in Adam, or we're in Christ. When I say that we're in Adam, we're under under um, sin. We've inherited the sin of our first parents, you know, and the guilt of that. Um, and to be in Adam means we're that we're under the law. We're under the mastery and condemnation of sin, and uh, that <laughs> with the law increases because you know now we're in violation of that law. Um, and we're condemned by our sin. Well, on the other hand, if you're in in Christ, believers are under grace. And in that sense, they're in Christ and they're long, no longer slaves to sin. Their, sin doesn't have dominion over us. We're under grace and um, we're no longer slaves. Sin is no longer our master because we have that benefit of union with Christ that leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Mm.
1: When you read the, the verse in its context yeah. in Romans 6 and 7, you, what you find is that really what Paul is saying is that if you want to just be under law, um, then, then sin will continue to have dominion over you. The law is powerless yeah. um, to set you free from, from sin. It can show you your sin, but it can't mm-hmm. free you from the, the mastery of sin in your life. But grace does free it, it frees you from sin's dominion and makes you a slave to righteousness. Well, mm-hmm. what's what's righteous? Well, the next chapter says, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and, and good. good. Yeah. So now we, under grace, we can become a slave to righteousness. And what's righteous? Well, the, the law, because it reveals God's character. So the whole argumentation flows together if you allow Paul to complete his yeah. argument um, because at the end of the day, it says, um, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't lead to lawlessness. Yeah, It leads to being conformed to the image of God and how has God revealed himself, at least in part, through the giving of his moral right. law.
0: So maybe I could kind of summarize it. So when Paul says, since you are not under law, but under grace, maybe to say it like this, you are no longer under law as a covenant of works, but now you are under the covenant of grace. Well, what was my relationship with the law and the covenant of works? That I'm bound to perfect obedience to it. And if I don't obey it perfectly, then I suffer the penalty. So was what it. Adam had in the garden, do right. this and live. Right. And yeah. I think this is one of the relationships that, 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 that the evangelical really has to understand. The, the man... The natural man who is still under Adam, he's not in Christ yet, he is both bound to the obedience of the law and he is bound to the punishment of the law. The believer, he is still bound to the obedience of the law, but he is freed from the punishment right. of the law. Absolutely. That's what Christ has accomplished for us. So yeah. when Paul says this, I mean, Paul's whole argument in Romans 6 is now be a slave to righteousness. He's not at all saying, oh, you're not bound to obey it. He's saying you're free from the penalty of it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think the remedy for both legalism and antinomianism is not about the law. The, the, the remedy for both is about the character of God. Mm-hmm. And so what we see is, is the love of God and the love of God in, A, giving of the law, and B, when we have failed to obey it, giving of His Son to perfectly obey it in, in our in our place, which is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus sure. Christ paid for our disobedience to the law and provided the remedy which we needed, which was the perfect obedience, both in the person of, of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: And so that's why, brother, just to tag onto that, it's never right to tell the, the legalist, oh, you just need a little less emphasis on the law, or it's never right to tell the antinomian, oh, you just need a little more law. Both the legalist and the antinomian need the gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel is not like the middle ground between the antinomian and the legalist. The gospel is an entirely different thing than what the legalist and the antinomian mm-hmm. are seeking. After. And the
1: gospel helps us correctly understand the law. Yep, mm-hmm. that's right. Amen. Well, brothers, uh, wrapping
0: up another show are you guys excited about the conference coming up?
1: I am so excited about this conference. It's the one I'm the most excited about. These topics are the ones that in in all honesty and sincerity transformed my my life um, in 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 ways that I'll eternally be grateful for.
2: Yeah. yeah. In Christ alone. I mean, what can be better than that? You know, just to, just the theme of it yeah. is, you know, that's where all our hopes rest. is in him.
0: Amen. Well, go to ReformationBoise.com. You can find all the details. You can register for free. All of the people who register will get a free book at the door, maybe two, and some great fellowship with other churches in the Treasure Valley. We hope to see you there. Bye.